The scripture today comes from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. The word of our Lord. A few weeks ago, uh, Ryan asked me, he said, hey, Patrick, do you want to speak on New Year's? And I said, sure. And I didn't really think about it. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, wait, New Year's? That's kind of important. I was like, no, I don't want to do that anymore. So I'm looking through my calendar trying to think of a way to get out of it. And there's nothing on there. So I was like, oh, man, I have to do this. Um, New Year's is, is hard for a lot of us. So uh, for some reason, I thought that I had to come up with some sermon about how 2018 is going to be just the best year of our lives, how God is going to bless us so richly in 2018, and he went the complete opposite direction. And the theme of, you know, 2017 was pretty bad, kept coming up um, for me. So just the complete opposite of what I was going for. And tomorrow on New Year's, we're going to set some New Year's resolutions. And I'm going to be the first to admit when it comes to New Year's resolutions, I'm the worst New Year's resolutioner. I'm the really, really annoying person that tomorrow I'm going to try and wake up early. I'm going to eat a salad for lunch, eat a salad for dinner, going to go to the gym. And then you guys all know where I'm going with this. In February, I'm going to be on my couch eating Chick-fil-A, watching Netflix. That's what's going to be happening. Um, This past year, I did P90X for the 10th time again, and for the 10th time, I did not finish it. But I did get up to week five, which is the farthest I've ever gotten, and I had a six-pack for like a week. And it was, it was really cool for a week. Um, but then Thanksgiving came along, and that dream is, is all over now. But um, on a more serious note, when we think about 2017, it's probably been really hard for, for a lot of us. Um, I know some people in this congregation, we've, we've lost our jobs, and it's been really, really hard. And when we think about finances, we're thinking about 2018, and we're thinking, man, how am I going to pay my mortgage this year? How am I going to feed my family? How am I going to pay these bills that I have no money? Some of us, we've lost family members and friends who are so close to us that we love so dearly, and we can't even think about going into 2018 without them. And it's really, really hard. Uh, some of us, some of us in here are still single, and we're thinking, God, when are you going to bring me someone that I can even date or be engaged to or marry? And it's getting really, really hard as we get older to think, Lord, I, I don't know how much longer I can be single. Um, so, so as we think about 2017 um, and just the past in general, it's been really hard for a lot of us. Um, but I, I want to kind of take us into this theme of the big idea being remembrance it allows us to be a faithful witness for Jesus. Remembrance allows us to be a faithful witness for Jesus. So um, in my discipleship group, we've been reading the book uh, First Timothy, and uh, this idea of remembering kept popping up for, for some odd reason. And 
Um, a little bit of context in First Timothy. It, it, it's mostly a book about church, um, church organization and responsibilities that certain church leaders have. Um, but kind of tucked away in this little passage in chapter 1 is is a chunk of scripture that doesn't really fit in to, to, the rest of the, to the rest of the book. So in chapter 1, what we see is Paul is writing a, a letter to Timothy. In verses 12 to 16, we see Paul's remembering his past. And Paul's remembering just how hard it's been for him, all the things that he's done in the past, and just how hard his life was. But he remembers also just the goodness and the sweetness of Jesus. Um, so if we think about this in modern day, just think that you're writing a letter to one of your good friends um, about church organization. You know, really fun letter to write your friend. But in the, in the middle of this letter, just think about you remembering your past and then uh, just thinking about where you were to where God saved you from. And it almost doesn't make sense, right? Like, why would he include that in the scriptures? And with that, we can almost see the emotion. We can almost see how much... Uh, this means to Paul. It's so beautiful when you really think about it that he would include this in this chunk of scripture. Um, so as we dive deeper, uh, I just have two points today. The first point being remembrance can bring condemnation, but it can also bring hope. And with that, there's two kind of subtitles under that. The first one is we live unrighteously. The first one is you know, we think about our past and how hard it is, and it just defines who we are. It defines who we are today. The other one is we live self-righteously. We're really prideful. Um, we're not realistic about our past, and that's just kind of the, the two uh, categories. That might not make sense now, but as I uh, dive deeper, I hope it makes a little more sense. Um, so for the first one, for those of us who live unrighteously, um, I want to ask you guys, why do you think remembering is hard? Why do you think remembering, why don't we like remembering? I think the, the answer is it points us to our past. And for a lot of us, we hate looking at our past. Our past can be really shameful, can be embarrassing, it can bring pain. I think for those of us who kind of think through that, we're, we're even thinking right now like that one thing that we've done in our past that really makes us shudder. And ultimately what that does is it doesn't, it holds us captive. Our past holds us captive. It doesn't allow us to live in the freedom that God has offered us to live in. Um, and we have this idea, we have this mindset that I'm unworthy, I'm unlovable. There's no way that God can love me. And that's a hard place to be in. On the flip side, we have those of us who live very self-righteously. Those of us who love the law, we think that God's law is going to save us from ourselves and th this is when we look at our past, we're not really realistic about it. You know, our life has been pretty steady. Nothing's been too bad. And, you know, we can't really remember anything that really just stands out as being bad. Um, so as, as self-righteous people, we have this, this idea of, you know, I can't believe that person still struggles with that sin. I can't believe that person, you know, I struggled with that three years ago. I don't struggle with that anymore. So we have this very, very prideful um, sense about ourselves. So all of us fall into one of these two categories, uh, either being very, living very unrighteously or living very self-righteously or somewhere in between. Um, so as, as we move forward, uh, I want us to look at what, what Paul says. Uh, the first one is for those of us who live unrighteously. Uh, in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 12 to 13, he says this. He says, 
I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. This is what I want us to listen to. He said, though formerly I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was an insolent opponent. So Paul, he's obviously in that first category. That, that guy, was, he lived a very unrighteous life beforehand. I think in the history of the world, his past defines him more than anyone else um, that we can think of. As I was uh, just reading through Acts, I thought this is kind of funny, but um, in Acts chapter 7, we see Paul as someone who's watching the stoning of Stephen. So uh, a follower of Jesus is getting stoned to death, and Paul's just watching. In Acts chapter 8, my Bible, the title of it is literally just called Saul Ravages the Church. You know, not a great start for him to be in. Um, and then in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 2, he says this. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So this is this guy's past. He used to be a murderer of Christians. You know, not, not an easy thing to live with, not an easy thing to remember often. And Paul didn't have this super clean plate. Or plate. I think if, if he uh, put in a job resume for New City, we'd see his past and be like, ah, you know, not so sure about this guy. You know, he, he's killed people he wants to work with. I don't know if that's a great start. Um, but I don't know why, in our heads, we have this idea of Paul being this, this supernatural man, uh, this super Christian, but he was just a person. And if we struggle remembering our past, I guarantee you Paul struggled with it a lot too. Um, and sometimes I think the enemy, for us, for us who, like, uh, who lives self-unrighteously, the enemy likes to poke us in our past where it really hurts. And for us, it's easier to almost hide in that. It's so painful to remember the past, but the enemy just pokes us there. And it's easier for us to hide in it than walk into it and embrace it. Um, as, you guys, as some of you know, my wife and I are on staff with a ministry called Crew. Uh, it used to be Campus Crusade for Christ. Um, and we hear a lot of just hard stories with high school students who, who really struggle with things like this. Um, and I kind of just want to give you guys a few snapshots of um, what, what some students are dealing with. Uh, the first one, a student named Monty. Monty is a junior, and he's in one of my small groups. Monty got introduced to drugs um, at a young age in middle school, and since then it's just been a, a slippery slope for him where he messes up a lot. Um, Monty just got off a five-day out-of-school suspension for coming to school under the influence. Uh, last year he got 10 days of out-of-school suspension for posting something on social media that he probably shouldn't have. Um, so Monty knows that he screwed up a lot, but what broke my heart was when he told me, every time my dad looks at me, I feel like he's so disappointed in who I am. He feel, I feel like he is so ashamed that I am his son. And that is so hard for someone to hear. Another student, her name is Kiara. Uh, my wife and I had the opportunity to meet her uh, last summer. And Kiara doesn't have a dad, and with that has come it's a lot of different uh, just struggles in her life. And just remember her telling us that at a young age, again, elementary school age, she started experimenting sexual things with one of her family members. And it's just so hard. And she was so ashamed, so guilty about just that she did that, first of all, that she knew what she was doing. It just brought her a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of embarrassment. Uh, the last one, a girl named Natasha. She's a sophomore, and she was adopted at a young age from Russia. And got to sit with her and hear more of her story a few months ago. 
And she was just saying, I feel so unlovable sometimes. There's no way that God could love me if my own parents don't even love me. If my own parents didn't want to keep me, why would God want to love me? So, you know, these are really, really hard things to hear. And, you know, some of us, we're in that same boat. And we might not have as dramatic as stories as some of these students, but there's things that we've done in our past. There's things that we've said, things that we've done where we think, I am so unlovable. I am so unworthy. God can't love me. It's really, really hard for a lot of us to look into our past. But the good news is uh, Paul has a very, very good response to all of this. Um, So if we keep reading um, verses 13 through 16, he says this, But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. So as I was reading and kind of learning more about Paul's journey, he painted this beautiful, beautiful picture of his past not defining him. Um, So somewhere in Acts, I think 10 or 11, uh, Paul becomes a Christian. So he went from, uh, you know, being a murderer of Christians to becoming a Christian. And in the year 54, Paul writes the book of 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, Paul writes this. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. So in Acts 10, 11, whatever it is, he becomes a Christian. Year 54, he's, he's saying, out of all the apostles, out of all this small group of people, guys, I'm the worst of all of them. You know, I, I'm the worst, but God gave me grace. Then eight years later, Paul writes the book of Ephesians, and he says something very similar, and he says this. Uh, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So again, we go from killing Christians to becoming a Christian to writing the book of 1 Corinthians saying, out of all these apostles, man, I am the worst. Then eight years later, he writes Ephesians and says, out of all the saints, out of all the people that are working in these churches, man, I am the worst. And then three years later, he writes the book, 1 Timothy. He writes the letter of 1 Timothy. And he says... Uh, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. So again, from killing Christians to becoming a Christian to I'm the worst of the apostles to I'm the worst of the saints, saying, man, I'm the worst out of everyone. Out of all the sinners, that's everyone, that's all of us. He's saying, I'm the worst. And that's crazy because this guy's past is horrible. So it's so easy for him to think that my past totally defines who I am. But he says this, but I received mercy. And what, what is mercy? It's, it's us not getting what we deserve, right? He said, I received mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. You know, he is the perfect example to think of where we think I'm unlovable. Paul's life is unlovable. Paul's journey from where he started, you would never think this guy to be, to be a lovable person. But here he is saying, yeah, I am the worst person in the history of the planet, but God gave me grace. 
and it allows them to continue to live life and to con- continue to live life for God. I think it's very, very naive for us to say that Paul doesn't remember his past because he writes about it so, so much. Uh, but it does, he doesn't allow his past to define him, but it, it actually strengthens him in the way he views uh, Christ. So those are us who live very, very unrighteously. It, it's a hard place to be in. On the flip side of this, there's those of us who live very self-righteously. And this is, I'm going to admit, this is a lot of ways me, and it's, it's just showing itself more and more in my life. Um, but this is those of us who love God's law, but love God's law for all the wrong reasons. Because we think if we follow all of his rules, it's going to bring us salvation. It's going to bring us into a relationship with God. Um, we think our lives have been really, really steady so far. Um, everything is good. And here's the hard part is with that, you know, we don't see our sin. And that's a dangerous place to be in because when we don't see our sin, we don't see our need for grace. We don't see our need for mercy. And ultimately, we don't see our need for Jesus. So it's a scary, scary place to be in. Um, I think a great example of this is in Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. A parable of Jesus talking to um, some Pharisees. And he says this, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like that guy. I thank you that I'm not like that tax collector over there. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even just like this tax collector. God, I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven and said, God, be merciful to me. So I want to stop right there because I just want to focus on the Pharisee. So Jesus says that uh, he wrote this to, uh, or he's saying this to, to Pharisees and people that trusted in themselves, people that thought, you know, they have it all together. They don't need God at all. They treat a people with contempt, thinking people are you know, that tax collector over there, he's worthless. I'm so much better than him. I do all these things. I'm so much better than that person over there. And if we think about this in modern day, this Pharisee would be everything we'd want in a church person or a missionary. If he came to New City, this, this Pharisee would be singing music. He'd be helping with set up and tear down. He'd be leading two MCs a night. He'd be doing everything we wanted. He'd be great. Everything we're looking for in a Christian. But the problem with him is it's all about physical and outward appearance and nothing about his inward heart change. And that's a problem that a lot of us struggle with who live with this self-righteous attitude that it's all about how I can look in front of my friends, how I can look in front of my family, when inside our hearts are as hard as, as rocks. Where we don't, have, we don't want anything to do with God. We just want to have this outward appearance that we're good. This, uh, this isn't fun for me to admit this, but... Uh, growing up, I, the more I read scriptures, I, I'm realizing a, a lot of ways I'm, I'm very much like a Pharisee. Um, you know, I grew up with a mom and dad who, who loved me a lot. They took great care of me. Any sporting event, any school event, anything that I was in, they would, uh, they would be there. Exhibit A, they're here right now. Um, you know, I had great friends in high school. Um, some of them are still my very, very best friends, and I love them dearly. And our friend group in high school, we were called the God Squad. Um, so just picture that more, more just, guys is a Pharisee, yeah. Um, 
know, I was friends with a lot of my teachers and coaches in high school, had just great relationships with a lot of people. Um, so you, you hear about my childhood, and you're like, this guy had it pretty easy. Nothing too bad, nothing horrible. And you're right, my childhood was great. The problem with that is the more I think about it, and what I'm realizing is, man, I thought really, really highly of myself in high school. I thought I was a really, really good person. I had everything together, everything I would ever want or need I had. So that put me in a very dangerous place where Jesus was just a part of my life. If I wanted him, I would just go to him when I needed him. So what that did, like I said earlier, it, it showed me that I didn't sin that much. I didn't need grace. I didn't need mercy. Therefore, I didn't need Jesus. Very, very wrong. Um, I remember in high school, this is really embarrassing, but I remember I had a Bible in my locker, and I would carry it around school. I probably read that Bible five times to actually read what was in it, but I would carry that Bible around with my books on the outside so people would see that, hey, Patrick has a Bible. He must be a Christian. And that is so wrong and so, so embarrassing to say, but that's who I was in high school. And things haven't really changed much since I've grown up. Uh, yesterday, I was helping my parents move some stuff, and the dog got out, and I got so angry because our neighbor has 14 cats, so the dog chased all those cats and just got so mad that when I brought my dog inside, um, you know, I yelled at my parents, I yelled at my brother, I yelled at my wife, and I uh, just felt so guilty about it. And remember talking to Erica, and I was like, you know, I'm so sorry for yelling at you. You know, I can't believe I'm preaching tomorrow after I yelled at you. And her response was this. She said, you mean you're sorry that you're a sinner and you need God's grace? And I, she, it felt like she stabbed my heart, and I was like, yikes. But the more I thought about it, I was like, how ignorant of me to think that just because I'm preaching up here, I put myself already on a higher pedestal that I, I'm not going to do certain sins because I'm up here. I'm not going to yell at someone because I'm up here. It really showed me that I haven't really changed that much since high school. But I'm still so ignorant to think that I thought of myself to be so much higher than, than a lot of you in here. And it, it was really, really humbling for me. Uh, but what Erica did show me was that grace that Paul was talking about in 1 Timothy and Ephesians and Corinthians, that same grace that saved someone that killed Christians however many years back is the same grace that I get to experience today. That same Jesus that saved Paul back then is the same Jesus that's entering into my heart. So it doesn't matter if I'm a killer of Christians 2,000 years ago, if I'm just some Asian kid from the suburbs. It's the same Jesus that loves me. And it is so profound and so true. Uh, it, it's, it's such a beautiful picture. Um, so we hear all that. We hear all this. You know, how do we respond? You know, my life, my past is so hard. I don't know what to do with it. I'm so prideful over here. What do I do with this? Um, I think uh, my second point is that we're called to be witnesses for Jesus. What does that mean? We're called to be witnesses for Jesus. If we look at the way Paul lived his life, um, these are for those of us who are living unrighteously. You know, his past was, by, no, it was not easy by any means. Um, could have enslaved him, could have kept him captive, but he embraced it. So I know what my past was. I know that I used to kill Christians, but God gave me this sweet, sweet grace. He gave me this sweet, sweet mercy that I get to tell other people about it now. It's amazing. For those of us who live self-righteously, what's our, you know, our response can't be the same because our past is, is not that bad. Um, but what we can do is 
we need to see our need for Jesus. Um, so Francis Chan has this quote um, that I, I just loved, and it says this, We never grow closer to God when we just live life. It takes deliberate pursuit and attentiveness. And I don't know why, if it's just an American thing, but I feel like so many times we feel like if I'm a good citizen, you know, I feed my family, I pay my taxes, I do what I have to do, I'm going to naturally just grow closer to God. And I don't know how that ever happened, but I, I know a lot of us think this way. I think this way too, just if I, if I do good things, I'm going to naturally get closer to God. But what Francis Chan is saying is, no, that's not true at all. It takes deliberate pursuit on our part. It takes attentiveness to know this real Jesus, the same Jesus that saved Paul. The more we study him, the more we deliberately pursue him, we're going to start seeing the real Jesus. And when we start seeing the real Jesus, I promise you we're going to start seeing our sin. We're going to start seeing our need for grace. We're going to start seeing our need for mercy, which in turn is going to show us our need for Jesus. Um, so, what do we do with all that? In Acts 1.8, Jesus says this before he, gets, um, before he goes up to heaven. He says, You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus calls us to be his witnesses. Um, and sometimes I think we have a, a kind of distorted view of what a witness is. What is a witness? It's a person that, that sees something and testifies against it, right? When we go to court as a witness, we see something happen and we tell other people that, hey, I saw so-and-so hit this person and this is exactly how it happened. Uh, part of our job with crew is uh, we write a monthly newsletter telling people what we've been seeing God do in, in our ministry. And we, we type out this letter and we send it out. And one of our favorite stories is a story about this guy named Connor Jones. And Connor Jones uh, played baseball at Johns Creek High School uh, stud baseball player, super, super good guy, um, came to faith in high school, um, ended up leading a ton of team Bible studies, a lot of players on the baseball team, um, came to know Jesus. Uh, he ended up getting a scholarship to play at UGA and um, started leading Bible studies at UGA. And a lot of the baseball players at UGA came to know Jesus, and then some of the coaches came to know Jesus. Connor got drafted by the New York Yankees, and now he's leading Bible studies on the New York Yankees minor league baseball teams. You know, this man witnessed Jesus change lives, and it changed his life. And his response to that is, I have to go tell other people. And that's what a witness is, is we've been changed by something, therefore we need to go tell other people. And Connor is a perfect, perfect example of, of being a witness uh, for Christ. So, you know, the same way I get excited sharing that story about Connor, we should all be excited about the way Jesus has changed our lives. You know, we might not have the crazy stories like, uh, like Paul. We might have the, the self-righteous story like me, but there is nothing boring about Jesus changing our lives. And we are called to be witnesses to tell other people that, you know, Jesus, he took my heart and he completely changed it. And the way that I lived before is not the way I live anymore now. And it's crazy and it's, it's beautiful. Um, so as, as we wrap up um, and as we walk into 2018, I really want us to, to reflect on our past. Reflect on 2017. Re reflect on um, years before that. If it's a past full of shame and guilt and embarrassment, I want to encourage you to know this, that God can use your story to bring him glory and honor. He used someone that killed Christians to be the head of 
the evangel evangelistic movement in, in the New Testament. And it's crazy to think that. That's like common day if Kim Jong-un was going to be the face of democracy. You know, it doesn't make sense, but God did that. And he can do that for your story too. Um, on the other side of that, if we struggle with self-righteousness, if we struggle, if we love the law, we think that the law is going to save us. I want to leave you with this quote by Martin Luther. It says this, Did the law ever love me? Did the law ever sacrifice itself for me? Did the law ever die for me? On the contrary, it accuses me, it frightens me, it drives me crazy. Christ is no Moses, no tyrant, no lawgiver, but he's the giver of grace, the Savior, full of mercy. Christ is joy and sweetness to a broken heart. Christ is a lover of poor sinners and such a lover that he gave himself for us. Now, if this is true, and it is true, then we are never justified by our own righteousness. If we struggle with self-righteousness, I really want to encourage you guys to seek the real Jesus. Because like I said, it, it, what it did for me was it showed my sin. And what that did was showed me my need for Jesus. And there's nothing more beautiful than seeing our need for Jesus. So for all of us, as we walk into 2018, I want to encourage all of us to know that we are more loved and we are covered by the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, for being you. Thank you for, for loving us, for being a good God. God, some of us have crazy pasts, Lord, but we, we feel shameful and, and guilt-ridden and embarrassed. And some of us in here are very prideful, Lord, where we think we're very, very good. We think that we can save ourselves. So God, I pray that today you would humble both of us and, and just show us that it's not about us at all, but it's about you, Jesus. It's about the grace that you offer us. It's about the mercy that you offer us, Lord. So as we walk into 2018, Lord, I just pray that we're reminded of that every single day, knowing that you are good to us, Lord, and that we love you and that you love us more than we could ever imagine. Thank you for everything, God. I pray all this in your son's name. Amen.